Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Queer Talk, a queer podcast that brings you positive news stories and fabulous interviews. Hi. 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 Today, we're doing something a little different. As you may know, it's LGBTQ plus history month in the UK. So we're bringing back the slightly bonkers Paula Harrowing for a gorgeous episode, looking back at history through a very queer lens. And good afternoon to you all from the very queer bonkers Paula Harrowing, she, her. <laughs> it's, it's great to have you back exactly 20 episodes later. I know, and I've been listening to them all. Lies. <laughs> Lies. We know you've been listening. You've been telling us stuff. No, I have. I have. I love them. So we have. We didn't actually focus much on this in your previous episode, but you're the community partnerships and fundraising coordinator for Opening Doors London. I am indeed yeah. for the over 50 LGBTQ plus members. And it's the largest UK charity providing support services for that demographic. Yes, it is. And COVID has been quite insight into how our members are very, very isolated and experiencing uh, loneliness a lot of them don't have family members so very different to their heterosexual counterparts Mm, yeah it must be very tough especially during this time yes we've lost 10 members since christmas so it's incredibly difficult you know the reality of doing zoom funerals for instance is a nightmare you know that whole thing about grieving and then obviously not being able to do that properly It is is incredibly difficult. COVID is very much reflective of the HIV pandemic that we experienced, you know, over 20 years ago. Yeah, I think there's always, there's a lot of parallels between the two. Obviously, there are two very different things. But yeah, both pandemics in their own sense and you know the hiv pandemic is still happening in some countries so it's not like yeah, it was it, just in the 80s but you know it still affects people it's very it's very similar but very different mm. because covid doesn't have stigma and prejudice around it uh, hiv yeah. and aids did and that was to do with taboos sex drugs you know so yes it, it's similar in terms of the loss but not in terms of the prejudice and stigma yeah there's the hiv crisis didn't have to be so bad you know if it was no and exactly I mean, I was watching uh, Breakfast TV and they were literally going through the thousands of people's names and families Mm. who had died. In terms of HIV and AIDS, they were on the back page and there were very few people who could actually say that their families died or their family members had died from HIV. So very different. You know, the thing that we're struggling with is the fact that, yes, 
there are multiple bereavements in a time where we're unable to grieve. Yeah. yeah. So it's LGBT History Month and you've been very kind as to bring an array of incredibly amazing, fantastic people who are going to share their life experience and answer a few questions for us later in this episode. So thank you for that in advance. No, my pleasure. I mean, these are people that I grew up alongside and for me were very much influential as how I dealt with the gay community. You know, for me, it was the real queer family and we created that without social media. So it was very much based on kind of our club land experience and who we came in contact with. And they are my family. You know, my family live abroad. So these people who I saw maybe three times a week are my family. Yeah. It would be difficult for Spencer to imagine a world without social media, but let's let's try. Uh, hot calling <laughs> kettle black, I think. Scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually grew up in a time where we had dial-up and we didn't rely on the internet. So. Oh my God, I love the dial-up. You could actually hear it. Yeah, the, yeah. the horrible dial-up noise. Yeah. What are you, right. like 73? <laughs> <laughs> I've completely switched off now because I don't even know what that is. Um, Babes, so... it's, it's all sound effects. When you used to literally click on the internet, you used to go... And it would sound like you're dialing the number. Jeez. Well, thank God that that's not around anymore. And in my day, it was drums and smoke signals. (laughs) Morse code. Exactly. Right, I think we need to jump straight in. I think this episode needs a little bit of explanation, but we've basically, we've got six fabulous older queer people. We've got four incredible questions that are quite open-ended so that they were able to share what they wanted to share rather than what we wanted to hear. And we've got the fabulous Paula Harrowing, as you've just heard, joining us to help connect the dots, paint the picture and to lead a discussion. And what Mufsin and I are hoping to do is to draw the parallels and the differences between what our answers would be to these questions versus the answers that we've received to always encourage these intergenerational conversations that we should be having. So let's jump straight in. The first question we asked to our guests, what was LGBT life like when you were growing up and how did that change from childhood to young adulthood? So first up, we've got an answer from Luke Howard. Now, Paula, how how do you and Luke know each other? Oh God, I I love Luke. So again, through Clubland, I met him DJing at Queer Nation, which was in Covent Garden, underneath the Apple Store, believe it or not, because that is no longer there. So Luke, beautiful, blonde, fabulousness. I, when I was doing Body and Soul, which was an HIV organisation, he came in and he taught our young people disco skills in terms of mixing, you know, DJing. Hmm. And he has been very much involved with the community on so many different levels and in terms of music he is from Horsemeat Disco and he travels to Brazil he does you know he he takes that music and his passion for music you can feel and at the moment he now works for Antidote which is again a charity that supports people who are involved in the chemsex scene I think that's right amazing so let's hear from him so we asked him what was LGBT life like when you were growing up and how did that change from childhood to young adulthood? 
Hi Spencer and Rosine, uh, it's Luke Howard here. First question, what was LGBT life like when you were growing up? How did it change from childhood to young adulthood? Well, I grew up in Sheffield and I moved to London when I was 16. Started going to clubs when I was 14. And I guess that's when I saw my first kind of gay people, drag queens and people who were, I guess, gender non-conforming back then in clubs in Sheffield when I was 14. So yeah, a lot of, there was a lot of makeup a lot of hairspray going on. When I moved to London, I was only 16, so I was still quite young. And I guess I was very excited to be in gay spaces, in gay clubs. That's what I called them then, gay clubs. That was fun. I, I was young and I loved music and I loved dancing. And it was great to watch people um, who were very confident in their skin, in their sexuality, in their in the way they behaved and the, who they loved. So I loved sitting and watching. And then I loved just being one of those people too like because I really liked music and I, I think that's why I liked clubs so much because I like dancing to, to music as well. One, one of the things that just stood out to me from that was I loved seeing people who were so confident in their sexuality and in their skin mm. and then I loved becoming one of those people and I think it's exactly that we all look for a role model or some kind of queer icon to not necessarily aspire to but looking to yeah. them for like you know how how should we be what does when I tell when I tell the world I'm gay what does that mean yeah. when I tell the world I'm trans what does that mean and kind of learning that pathway so I love that he found that in the clubs yeah I mean it's, it's one of the things that we we all need and i think we'll always need is role models just because like when you're younger and you're gay queer trans or even if like you just want to do something you need to visualize it and the easiest way to visualize something a goal is by seeing someone do it like firsthand so the first time you go into a queer space that's when you'll be seeing people having the confidence living their true selves and you'll be like okay i see how it's done and i can do that now so paula you were very involved in the club scene you were you were there you were in soho miss queen of the soho party gals <laughs> <laughs> talk us through that what what was it like seeing you know that many queer people come together okay so I my first relationship was at 15 at school and we were together for 10 years so we came up to London at 17 and really thought we were kind we were special we didn't think there was anybody else other than us I've never really questioned my sexuality I've just I fell in love I fell in love with a beautiful girl at the time and it I didn't question it so at the age of 25 we split up and primarily why we why we split up was the fact I started to go out to clubs. I went to a club called the Ace of Clubs, which was in Piccadilly. It was actually a strip club during the day, a heterosexual strip club, and at the weekend it turned to a lesbian lair. And literally walking in there for the first time, I could not believe that there was like something like 200 women in there, all smooching. And I remember I went back to my girlfriend and said, oh my God, we're not unique, we're not special. There's loads of us, there's literally <laughs> loads of us. And she was very closeted. She came from a Catholic background, uh, Irish. Yeah, she did not identify at all as being lesbian. Mm. So I discovered Clubland 
kind of by myself, I found that women-only space is quite intimidating. And I, and again, I think it was kind of led by the fact of my music taste. I ended up primarily going to uh, men's clubs and primarily black men's clubs, hence me doing The Door of Queer Nation, which was on a Sunday night. And I loved it. It was a time where, yes, every, you know, I saw these people every Sunday and they became my family. And also alongside that, in terms of lesbians, there were very few lesbian clubs and I started a club night which was linked into uh, the fruit machine at Heaven. And Heaven at that point only kind of attracted straight girls and their gay friends. So for them to acknowledge lesbians and kind of take us in, I had to ensure that it was on my terms. So we yeah. took over the VIP space at uh, Heaven. It caused a lot of friction. A lot of gay men did not like that space now full of lesbians. You eventually did have a space, Heaven, where lesbians and gay people went to the same venue, but there was still friction there. Like That's very interesting because I think nowadays, we want more and more mixed spaces and we want to have a diverse space um, and I don't think but do we Mufsin we don't but we want to have that so it's, it's interesting uh, that we I... still struggle with that now okay so for me as a lesbian going into any bar in Soho mm. or club it would it's be, going to be full, very gay focused yeah full of gay men yeah I love gay men I have you know my my personal network tends to be primarily I would say 60% gay men mm. So I, you know, in terms of that, I really don't have an issue. But I have an issue in terms of actual physical space. You know, when when we used to go to clubs, for women to have a space where they didn't get hassled. And I also really acknowledge the fact for quite a few of my gay male friends, when they became drunk, they would hit on you. Oh, yeah. So that you had this real strange phenomenon where you suddenly go, actually, babes, we're both gay. What are you doing? Yeah. So, you know, that whole thing in terms of like men only spaces women only spaces I think has a place you know the Colhern for instance which was literally leather boys which I loved I used to actually take one of my friends to the club but he would go in and I would sit in the Italian restaurant mm. opposite waiting for him to come out you know and again it's like everybody has their own needs and I think we yeah. need to identify them as, at times no definitely we talk about you talk about the lesbian layer I'm thinking like in Soho you have Shiba, you have the GAY basement. Near the toilet. <laughs> the lesbian basement, which is near the toilet, that when you go in there, yeah. it smells of piss. Yeah, it's not great. No, it's not great. <laughs> But what I was saying is, it's just interesting that the your perspective when you were, you know, 25 going to the gay scene for the first time is, I don't think the, the scene has, maybe like the names have changed, but there's still the same kind of friction that we see now with like need for more female only spaces. Yeah, I mean, it's, I do find it, I do find it sad. I remember in my, our last podcast that we did, you talked about the mayor finding a LGBT space and they mm. were talking about that, you know, for us at the time to actually have that was phenomenal and the fact that yeah we could mix with whomever whether they yeah. be trans gay men you know whomever that our friendship network was yeah 
So here I am in my mature years. Mm-hmm. I hope that we are a united LGBT plus community. Yeah. But the sad thing is, is that we're actually not. Here yeah. we are in 2021 and we are battling each other. You know, ultimately, at the end of the day, we step out of our community and we're going to get queer bashed. Not because we're non-binary, it's because we're fucking queers. Mm. So I think that is the whole thing that we need to address. We need to unite. We need to support each other, which I think is really, really important. And part of my history, and especially within the group of people that I have, we are those people. We are the best of friends. We are family. We are definitely together in the struggle forward in terms of our identity. I think it's worth noting, and a couple of the other speakers on this episode will point this out, but the need for women-only spaces back then was high, which is what you've just said, but we've actually lost some of them. We've lost all of them. Well, I don't you've lost know. all... Yeah, I don't really know. Even, even, more, even more so. And so the need now is more important than ever. Like, we've actually gone backwards. We think we've made progress in history, but queer women have further been erased from those spaces. And it's easy It's easy for me and you, seen to say, you know, oh, it's mixed and everyone's welcome and stuff, because they absolutely are. Yeah. But, but saying everyone's welcome doesn't make people feel welcome, because... That's a fair we, we, we both know that cer- certain types of people will will congregate in those spaces mm-hmm. um, and this and this listen I don't really go out full stop so it's listening to these voice notes that makes me realize but yeah we definitely need more you know queer women spaces and spaces where you know trans and non-binary people feel comfortable and because, safe yeah, exactly yeah exactly it's I mean it's very interesting obviously it's a sim which is very topical at the moment and for me I lost a lot of my gay male friends I was worked as you know within the HIV sector supporting women and my peer group of lesbians supported so many of their gay male friends because their gay male friends their friends could not go into the hospitals because they were so frightened and you know for some some of them there was issues of denial so yes you know we have been removed from that period of time from that history not only within the HIV sector but also say in the most frivolous way in terms of clubland our DJs our music you know that I find frustrating more than anything yeah we will we will definitely touch more on this in uh, the later answer Mufsin do you want to introduce the next question and then so the next question we asked our speakers is what is a memory you hold onto that you'll never forget? So Paula, the first speaker we have is Frank Akinsetti. I've known him again for years. A sweetie. He had, he's a stylist. Uh, he had his own shop in Portobello many years ago called Sold Out. One of the cool kids. And over the years, obviously, him coming to Queer Nation, he was part of my family. And probably we've got a lot closer in the last five years Maybe it's an age thing, I don't know. But yes, I mean, it is interesting that literally to pull in our family, especially as we are getting older, is really important. And Frank is part of that. I love him dearly. What memory will I hold on that I'll never forget? I think something which keeps on flashing back to me is the first time I saw two men, you know, emphasise the word men, dancing, slow dancing together in a gay club, which is called Adams, which is in Leicester Square. And, you know, I was completely new to the scene, probably about 17 at the time. And it just staggered me, you know, like, so I couldn't get my head around it, you know, like, so both with fascination, interest, and um, also, like, so at that time, because I'd not seen it before, weirdness as well. 
What was that? Did you did you ever go to the Adams in Leicester Square, Paula? No, I think it may have been mainly men and before my time. Okay. But what I do remember about that mm. area was when I remember when I came up to London at the age of 16, I was fascinated with Piccadilly Circus and I couldn't work out why there were so many young boys hanging around. And then seeing them literally kind of wander off with men in suits suddenly clicked. It's like they're rent boys. Uh-huh. And when I was working in in Soho, there used to be a games arcade. So when I used to come into t- into town to work at, say, six o'clock, I would spend two hours with the rent boys in the area, literally on the games. So, yeah, it all feels very familiar. But no, I didn't go to Adams. Very oh. cute. I can't... I don't know the first time I saw two guys or, or two queer people together. Because I grew up in Brighton, I think I saw a lot of people holding hands, same-sex couples holding hands in the street. But for me, it's more like, oh, I can't be gay because I'm from my background. But I'd always see it from afar. It always makes me feel give me a bit of hope I guess sense of hope and belonging but it always felt unattainable for me for a while I do remember though the first time that I realized one of my closest friends uh, when I was growing up I went around to her house and she was um, her mum was home and then her other mum came in to the house and I was like oh you have lesbian mums I didn't even realize so that I do remember the first time that I realized you can have alternative families yeah I think I think it's nice to see it for the first time Mm. I still to this day when I see when I see two like gay guys walking down the street holding hands it just makes me smile it's just cute yeah it's it's just cute and it's just a a feel-good moment Mm. It is cute. I think for me, okay, the first time I saw anything like that was I went into heaven and I was bursting for the loo and I went into the men's and there was two men fucking. And that was like, oh my God, I didn't know that happened. But I think in terms of in terms of cuteness, uh, and that's not that long ago. I was walking home, and there was a massive building site, and these two guys came down who had been working on the building site, and they literally, as they hit the street, they kissed and he- held hands. And I was like, "Oh my god!" And they were massive, like proper fucking builders, mm. and yeah, that for me was just something quite special. I think. So bare, so cute, so fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> it's lovely to see people hold hands and kiss on the street, but we do have to remember that. Sorry to put it down on it, but homophobia still exists. And every time we do it, we risk attack, unfortunately. But what I hope is over the years, that risk lessens and we can be more out there and not have to look over our shoulders uh, where we want to hold our boyfriend or girlfriend's hands. Yeah, that is something I really miss. And I cannot believe 20 years on, it is still a concern. You know, mm. it, I think life is better in some ways, but then really not. The amount of hate crime and the attacks, you know, are still very much with us. But yeah, for me, holding hands and walking down the street, something so simple and innocent, I really miss. So Paula, our next speaker is answering the same question. Win Austin. Being a person of colour in this community was also challenging and not just a person of colour but a person of colour who identified as trans so I had to kind of figure out my own ways, my own ways of being in this community and being a part of this community and not feeling like I was left out because being a person of colour it's very difficult normally to have the support of family and friends and loved ones. I was fortunate that I had the support of my parents and my relatives so it made it easier easier for me to navigate my way through this not just my life but through my life with my family and friends and 
and through the LGBT community. I think when you have the support of people that you love and it makes your life so different, completely different, because it means that you have the security to do the things and make the choices you want to do without being judged too harshly. And I think it's very important when you, as a youngster growing up in, in any community, that you have support from those you hold dear. I think being a very social and open person, it was very, very easy for me to make my way through the community and be well liked and I met lots of friends. I had my own sort of like rainbow tribe. There was a person from of every color in my group of friends. I had one Chinese friends. I had people from Africa who were friends. I had people from India who were friends and we were like all teenagers navigating our lives together and trying to figure out how we was going to be as, I wouldn't say outcasts because being people of color or being people from different background, cultural backgrounds, sometimes there was this feeling of being kind of sidelined in the community as a whole so we kind of navigated our way together and we formed this group of people I, when i got a job at heaven in 1982 or 83 it was i hung out with these kids and after work every saturday we'd go and have breakfast together at five six o'clock in the morning and it was very important to have these group of friends it made me not only see the world very openly but it made me appreciate and understand other cultures and to this day i'm still kind of like i'm the friend of everyone i don't have there's no group of people that i don't consider part of my friendship wow boom that's that's, that's so much to unpick there what what is your relationship with win so win i've known I suppose like everybody for a very long time very glamour very fabulous very out was very much involved with Kinky Galinky, which I think Wynne talks about. Just, I mean, I think we always look to America for our role models. Wynne is UK. You know, that when we look to RuPaul, we do all of, you know, looking for that guideline. And again, you know, for us, we were inclusive of everybody. There wasn't anyone, I think, that yeah. was made to feel on the outskirts of us as a group of people. This is what I'm starting to learn more and more from listening to these voice notes is like we've, we've actually gone backwards a little bit within the community oh. because whilst people like me and Mufseen and yourself would be inclusive as a community as a whole like I think people have definitely been pushed to the sideline whether that's queer women whether that's the trans and non-binary people you know whether that's people of colour and black people we definitely I think created further segregation than there was back then. I agree I mean you know in terms of my friendship group at that time we had amongst us a lot of trans women a lot of people of mm. colour you know so so I find it sad that we are having these discussions and debates and an hostility towards people that are different to ourselves. You know, for us as a community, we have always been that. We've literally embraced and just got on with it. You know, there's always been the um, extremists, whether they are extremist lesbians and, you know, really misogynistic gay men. I mean, gay men don't get challenged around the fact that for a lot of them they don't actually accept trans women and especially don't accept trans men yeah you know and that for me is heartbreaking i met my first trans man in my early 20s didn't think any beautiful man very charming very engaging didn't think any 
everything of it as in so yeah it's it is we have gone backwards and we are not learning from our mistakes which I think we really need to try and do and don't be scared of them you Mm. know it's like lose that fucking ego and just embrace the fact that yes okay mistakes have been made let's try and rectify this there's a lot of stuff that Wynn said which resonates talking about being othered in queer spaces as a person of colour. There's definitely a lot of times where I've been in LGBT spaces, gay bars, and I've just felt like, oh, I can't replace really it, but someone's being off with me or people are looking at me differently or like not looking at me actually or not socialising with me in the same way. And like I couldn't put my finger on it, but looking back is probably because of my the colour of my skin. And a lot of these things are subtle and it's not like aggressive racially charged attacks or anything like that it's it's just the way we navigate around these spaces around each other and people will create distance from you just because of the way you look and you know maybe they don't find you attractive or you don't they don't have friends like you so they why would they talk to you or they see your skin color first and then don't see the personality behind so therefore they don't engage in conversation properly with you so it's unfortunate that what win is saying about how things were in the 80s is still true now um, there are definitely some spaces in London where there is more inclusive, more inclusive environment. There are definitely other places where it's just like it's just a gay environment. I, I wonder if that's inclusive of people of colour or trans people. So it's different in different places, but the problems still exist. And we talk about things going backwards. I'm not sure if things have gone backwards, but they maybe maybe just haven't improved, or the problems have morphed over time because we've gone into a digital age as well. And the way we communicate is different. So I don't think the increase in like online dating for example has helped because now we categorize with so many different labels on height race we're like treating people like information now um we're profiling people all the time in a, maybe in a way that we didn't in the 80s it's not really helping us mix and appreciate each other it's actually furthering the issue of othering marginalizing others it's great that win has found friends where you can have an inclusive environment and i think people still do that they still carve out friendship groups where they feel safe and you must remember this is like you know over 20 years ago 40 years so ago. for her yeah so for her running around at that time i lo- i loved her she was glamour 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 and you surround yourself with people that you love and that you relate to and that keep you safe ultimately and that is your queer fan there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Family. 
for all of the people we've listened to so far, we have their answers in full. We They all answered all four questions. So we're going to be putting all of that on socials for our listeners to make sure that they get, you know, the full context, the full story and the full background yeah. of what these people went through, what they experienced and, and where they are now. Um, so I'm excited to share those. The next question is a bit of an interesting one because I think as younger people, we definitely try and, and be involved and do the right things but there's a lot of things we forget and leave behind so the next question is what part of lgbt history do you think we have forgotten over time now the first answer we have is from paul allard so let's hear what he has to say to be gay wasn't easy so you had to fight for what we wanted we had to like when we first went on when there was the first gay pride marches we marched to protest we marched to show people that we were equal and we had to you know and remember where to know your history where you come from and why people like you know it was illegal to be gay and how tortured it was for a lot of people for many many years and so um yeah to be aware of that and also that we live in an age where i think it's so instant and people are so dissatisfied to kind of like sort of read books to kind of like you know we formed our own personalities individual people because you'd go to bookshops and you'd go and choose your books that you wanted to read and to learn from you choose your music you go and choose your style you go and choose you know art you'd go to art and you'd like sort of you know art exhibitions and stuff all the sort of stuff that forms you as a person that seems to be all so forgotten now to talk to people to kind of like sort of you know enjoy each other's company and everything's so instant everything's by a text or by like and to treasure people not just to see them for their you know what you project onto people how you want them to be not to sexualize everything sex is just kind of like sort of like you know all the things that you think are important when you're younger are so unimportant when you get older like everything is like sort of time you know things pass on things aren't like you know important they're like sort of you know what so yeah i just think sort of like to have kind of like some sort of conscientious sort of objectives about life and about your friends and people and like you know I love Paul. I love him to pieces. We've helped each other through quite difficult times. And it's true. The reality is, is that we grew up in a time where there was no social media. And mm. when I came out, I read every leather book ever written, you know, and we would talk and sh share gossip and tales amongst each other. So our information was literally from the horse's mouth. And learning and our films and mm. you know going oh have you seen you know uh, whatever happened to baby jane have you seen all those kind of real classic cult films so yes you know paul you know i 100% agree with him i think we have lost that as a community because if it's not on wikipedia it can't be true if you can't google it and find a picture then it's crap and then yeah let's find our fashion our makeup and our inspiration on Instagram us as queer people we should be like on it we used to be on it as in you know you'd come to us and ask us what do you think of this and I don't think that's the case anymore we've lost our edge has that have we really lost that or have we just have we just communicated that in different ways so like the way we share gossip the way we talk to each other is is d still done but it's just now done through Instagram through 
social media through different channels. Do you think it's creative? Do you think it's challenging? Do you think it's political? There's still creative people making magazines, still creative people Who? Like sharing... What magazines? People, <laughs> make, people making zines. People are sharing content, art. I think that still exists. It's just, I think it's on a different... You, you, you're happy to... I'm happy for you to disagree with me, but I think that's just on a different medium now. I think it's very frivolous and I don't think it's... It's very shallow. Um, okay, well, that... I think it may have changed, but then like maybe the authenticity is gone or like it's a bit more surface level. It's very trend led, yeah. which, you know, for the queer community, it shouldn't be. It's we true. do our thing and we do it really well when we do it. You know, we yeah. are not, mm. we shouldn't be trend led, like, oh, hashtag fabulousness. We should be trendsetters. We are. We, we are, are historically that. trendsetters. Everything we do filters into the mainstream eventually. I was, when, when he said, you know, oh, we used to choose our clothes and choose our music. And I'm like, well, I did choose my clothes i did choose my music but like no i didn't i like rupaul's drag race because that's what gay people are supposed to like i like lady gaga she's incredible but because that's what i was presented with and like mufsin you're you're a perfect example of you find niche artists Mm. and you would people people don't connect necessarily like because of that right there are underrated artists and as artists you're supposed to listen to because they're pop princesses like we're all supposed to love Mariah and Beyonce and and Ariana Grande and this is like this is what Paul was getting at is that like our clothes we are presented with ASOS or whatever online and there's only what is there is what is there and we think we're making a choice because there's thousands of items but everyone's wearing the same thing yeah and and the same with music and the same with film even today queer films and queer tv like there's more than ever but there's not like they're they're so rare they're becoming homogenous and so if one film comes out in a year everyone's gonna watch that one film because that's the queer film so i i do get it i i I don't want to dismiss all the people the creators today the people who are being political the people that are doing activism because the landscape has changed and people are doing amazing things even today but i completely get it like we are being fed what we should choose we are being fed those choices we aren't making them for ourselves I 100% agree, Spencer. I thought you were going to say disagree then. No, I 100% agree with you. And not to say that the past is better because it's not necessarily. But I think it is very different and we need to acknowledge that difference. And yes, you're right. There are activists, political artists, whatever, who are changing the face of what's happening in terms of our community. But it was very different in those days. We didn't have social media and our interaction with each other I think was far more so than now as in real connections back to business back to business sorry who's Rachel Dax Rachel Dax I literally stalked on Twitter for ages. <laughs> film director of Time and Again with Sean Phillips. Short film shown on BBC Two. Actually, no, I think it's on iPlayer. Beautiful, beautiful love story of two women in later life who are put into a care home and finally connect again. And they are absolutely phenomenal to watch. There's a sex scene there which completely blew me away. Beautifully done, sensitive, erotic, and shows older people engaged in pleasurable sex. So that's Rachel Dack. She's phenomenal. She's also written um, a number of books. And yeah, 
She lived through King's Cross and the Bell, which, again, lesbians have been written out of that whole history and that whole era. And the Bell, for a lot of people, was absolute heaven and very, very mixed. So the fourth question is, what advice would you give to the younger generation facing struggles today? So let's hear what Rachel Dax has to say. I think the greatest advice I can give is to learn to love yourself. And I know that sounds a bit of a cliche, but I think it really is true. Unless you learn to love yourself, you will find life as an LGBT person quite tough because there will always be homophobic and transphobic people. And there will always be situations, even if it doesn't happen in this country, um, in other countries where you feel under threat. So learning to love yourself and value yourself and really build your own self-esteem, I think, is hugely important. But that is a journey throughout life that never really ends. The way I did it, it may or may not work for you, is I started reading really cheesy American self-help books and new age books on how to be happy and how to be fulfilled. But what I made sure I did was I only took the advice that worked and ditched the rest. So have a look at those types of books, read them all, take what works for you and anything that doesn't ring true, don't bother with it. But allow yourself to do exercises, whether they be affirmations or meditations or positive thinking regimes. Allow yourself to do those things because that will help you build confidence, self-esteem and love yourself. And if you love yourself, it doesn't matter whether you're single or in a relationship, you will have better mental health and you'll be happier. And if you are in a relationship, you'll make sure that you're only in a healthy relationship. And if your relationship that you find yourself in is toxic, you'll find ways to get out of that relationship much more quickly than if you don't love yourself and your self-esteem is low. The other bit of advice I would give you is not to worry too much if you don't know what you want to do yet. There's plenty of time and you can still create a magnificent life even if you don't know what you want to do in your mid-twenties. I didn't know I wanted to be a filmmaker and a writer until my very late twenties and early thirties and it's only now in my late 40s that I'm having great success. However, I've had a fantastic life and a fantastic journey exploring my creativity and doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things uh, with theatre and film and writing. So follow the dream, but don't worry too much if you don't know what that dream is yet. You've got plenty of time. Okay, I hope that helps. What an angel. What an angel. Go on, Mufsine. I feel like she was speaking directly to you. I know we've I know you've never met. I felt like she was I felt like she was speaking directly to me. Some of the stuff that she said is so true. Like, well, first of all, to, uh, reading up about self-help stuff, meditation, all that kind of stuff. I remember doing that 3 years ago after I had my like rock bottom moment and I was trying to build myself up. Reading around all those things and doing meditation, taking time out to do like yoga, manifesting, mantras, all that kind of stuff. It sounds sometimes a bit like airy fairy, but it really helps you slowly to build a structure around yourself to have self-confidence. But yeah, I I just remember reading stuff like Velvet Rage, how subtle art of not giving a fuck. All these kind of books I, I was reading just to like understand how to have confidence. So that was really good advice. It absolutely was. I think 
Exactly that. We need to love ourselves. Unless you can stand on your own two feet, I think navigating any of the spaces queer people have to navigate is is just gonna is gonna take you out. Like it just makes it all a lot harder, a lot slower, and a lot you know much longer process. Yep. Uh, and also being able to recognise toxic relationships. Like it doesn't matter if you're single or in a relationship, like you, Spencer. But to recognise when things are toxic, when things are working for you, when they're not, kind of taking a step back to reassess. I mean, I'm in a toxic relationship, just not with my boyfriend. Um, there's <laughs> yes, there's this guy. There's this guy I have to work with on um, the podcast I do. Toxic. Toxic. Brittany. <laughs> it's not even Brittany's toxic. This is bad toxic, not good toxic. Okay. Anyway, final person, and I think this is a really really nice way to sign off because it's a gorgeous piece of advice. The final person we're going to speak to is Lou Corfield. What advice would you give to the younger generation facing struggles today? Okay, I've I I've been thinking about this question a lot, and what I've decided to do is I'm going to read you a letter. I am one of the patrons for Pride Cymru, and one of the campaigns that we did was a Proud to Be Me campaign. And as part of it, uh, Pride Cymru asked their patrons to write a letter to the community explaining why we were proud to be who we are. And it's an exercise that I actually found really difficult. Yeah, I won't give it any more of an introduction. I will just read this that I should have read through before I'm reading it now, but never mind. Okay, fingers crossed. Being asked to write about why I'm proud to be me and comfortable in my own skin isn't something I found easy to do. I thought it would be a walk in the park, but I have sat here several times this month, tea in hand, ready to type, and I've walked away. This morning, I realised why I've been struggling. Until now, I was trying to write what I thought I should say, rather than what I wanted to. As a very proud patron of Pride Cymru, I felt I should be highlighting all of the positives about coming out. Embracing who you are, flying the rainbow flag, encouragement, positivity. Come on, a proud patron should be writing a testimonial with fireworks and lyrics to a gay anthem attached. Hell yeah! Yeah! Well, no, actually, no. If I only painted the prettier side of the Proud to Be Me picture then I wouldn't be encouraging you to do what it takes to own your identity and, as the campaign says, stand up and be counted. Because the truth is that it can be really bloody hard and painful for us to get to the point where we can say, hand on heart, I am comfortable in my own skin. For me, it took the best part of 25 years before I realised how the jigsaw pieces slotted into place. Completing the identity puzzle is a huge challenge, but it's especially hard if you're trying to fit jigsaw pieces together to create something that doesn't match the picture on the lid, the true picture of who you are. And that's what I was doing. I was trying to create a picture of me that fit in and that pleased other people. The picture that pleased the friends and family members who I knew weren't comfortable with me being queer. Oh, excuse me. The picture that kept me safe from bullies who would challenge my choices and beliefs. The picture that didn't rock the boat with the more blinkered people in my industry. 
But that didn't match the picture on the lid of my jigsaw box. Now, do not get me wrong. Me talking about jigsaw boxes. That is not me suggesting there's a box that we all fit into. In fact, I am telling you quite the opposite. I am telling you to trust the voice inside you that knows who you are. The voice that knows what the picture on the lid of your puzzle pieces, what that looks like. Because only you do. I only found a way to complete my puzzle when I listened to that voice. When I trusted myself enough to work on the picture that I could see. When I stopped trying to create something fake. Then I found my place of peace. I completed my jigsaw and was proud to be me, regardless of what others thought and without hesitation or fear. And now, I am proud to be me because I'm not pretending anymore. I'm proud to be me because I've realised what it means to be truly accepted by those that matter. I'm proud to be me because I now have the chance to tell those of you still struggling to complete your jigsaw that it will be worth it. I can promise you that. I'm proud to be me because I can tell you that the freedom you will feel when you decide to be you for you is immeasurable. I'm proud to be me because I can tell you there is a community out here waiting and wanting to welcome you. So please don't let others muddy what you know is your truth. Own your jigsaw pieces. Learn from the mistake I made when I first tried to write this letter to you. Base your story on what you want to say, not on what you think you should. We'd love to you all. Lou. That was amazing. I've listened to that twice already before this episode and I'm literally sat here sobbing and I hate my life. I love the idea of figuring out your identity as a jigsaw because it does feel like that sometimes. It's just like you're putting together all these fragments and then, yeah, it's it's a great letter, great piece of advice as well. There is like a very freeing feeling when you start living for you, being you for you, yeah. Anything to add, Miss Paula? No. <laughs> oh, wow, Paula. Miss Paula's speechless. Um, this is the speechless. first time you've ever been speechless. I know. Yes, very emotive. Just watching both of you as she's reading it, as she's as she is in it, I can mm. see how much it's obviously impacted. So yeah, amazing. Think, she's amazing. I, so. I think she's she's hit the nail on the head. Yeah. We we exactly what you just said, Mavsina, exactly what you just said, Paula. Like we need to live for ourselves and we need to stop trying to portray an image of someone that pleases others, that fits in, that doesn't rock the boat. Because like you've said and like like you mentioned earlier, we're we're the queers. Like we <laughs> we set the trends. We are the reason things happen. We do our thing and everyone else watches. Like we we need to get back to that because conforming is not what we're good at conforming is not what we're built to do in in a heteronormative world we will always be queer and if we try to conform we're still queer we're just hiding it or we're 
changing the way we are perceived. So uh, until you actually live for yourself and be yourself, then you're not like I've, I can say, for example, like I've I, I now do feel like I live for myself for myself. But if there's anyone out there listening now who doesn't do that, like know that it's such a great feeling when you can eventually get to that point. And on that note, I think we're going to wrap up the end of an, an episode <laughs> that's got me sobbing. You can listen to it again when it's on the socials. Oh, you can. You can listen to Lou's voice note in full. You can listen to everybody's answers in full on our socials. But for now, that everyone is the end of History Month with Queer Talk. So thank you so much for listening. I just want to say thank you to all our speakers today and also to you, Paula, for bringing everyone together. Um, and also a thank you to all our listeners. And you can find, you can, like we've said, we, you can find the full answers. So all four questions by all the speakers answered in full on our social media. On our Instagram is probably the best place to see that. For our listeners, if you want to find Paula on Instagram, she is at Harrowing. And if you want to find Paula on Twitter, she is at Paula Harrowing. There you go. So you can check her out on both of those places. Harrowing by name, harrowing by nature. And also, do not forget to check out Opening Doors on Insta. They are at Opening Doors London. Do not forget to let us know what you thought about this episode and all of the others that we hope you've been listening to on Instagram and Twitter. We are on Instagram at queer underscore talk and on Twitter we are queer talk underscore. Until next time, bye! bye.